In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today we celebrate the great solemnity of the Holy Trinity, the Sunday after Pentecost. What better way after the Easter season to take up again the great mystery of our faith, the mystery which is most precious, the Holy Trinity. There is nothing greater than the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the liturgy of the Church, in the liturgy of the hours, we read this beautiful hymn, which goes like this, All hail, adored Trinity, all praise eternal unity. O God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit ever one. Three persons praise we evermore, and thee, the eternal one, adore. In thy sure mercy ever kind, may we our true protection find. O Trinity, O Unity, be present as we worship thee, and to the angels' songs in light our prayers and praises now unite. What a beautiful prayer to repeat often, you know, to give praise to the Trinity, the eternal unity. Really, the Trinity is all love. It's eternal love. They have, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been in love from all eternity, before the foundation of the world. That's all there was. There was love. Because that love is so great, and because love is seeking always to share the the great happiness, the great joy that it possesses, the Holy Trinity has freely, without any need, but freely chosen to create us, to have creatures with which they can share this great happiness that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have had from all eternity. It's not that they needed to create us in order to be happy. God created us so that we can share in this eternal bliss that that the Holy, the, the, the Holy Trinity has had forever. Some people think or speak as if God the Father were the Creator or God the Son were the Redeemer and God the Holy Spirit were the Sanctifier. However, we know from our dogmatic theology that that is not exactly the case, even though it's okay to say it in a loose way, 
It's really God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who create. And it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who save, who redeem and forgive our sins. And it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit who sanctify us, who elevate us to a new level of children of God. Because anything that the that God does outside of God is done by all three persons. Anything that they do on the inside, let's let's put it that way, um, can be distinguished. You know, there's the 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 proper activity or the proper identity of the Father who engenders the Son from all eternity, and both the Father and the Son then are the the active uh, relation that that spirate the Holy Spirit, as as the theologians have called it, you know, and. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son who uh, spirate, you know, the Holy Spirit. There's no word for that second procession in the Blessed Trinity like there is for the first, which is called generation because the, the Son is a Son of the Father. So we have three persons in one God and two processions, the procession of generation and the procession of of spiration, as it's called. There is no name for it. But trying to understand the Blessed Trinity is impossible. It's just the Blessed Trinity is a mystery that goes beyond our capacity to grasp, to comprehend. We don't understand. We are kind of in a cloud. Not in the cloud like in the internet, but in in a different type of cloud, the cloud which Moses entered into. We are in a cloud where we can't see much, and yet it is in that mysterious cloud of unknowing that we know we are most closely united to the Holy Trinity, as many fathers of the church have put it, notably um, St. John Damascene, you know, that we enter into that that cloud or that great sea of, of the goodness of God where we are just dumbfounded. We stand agape because of the, the greatness of the mystery. Also Augustine, as uh, Pope Benedict in um, Spe Salvi tells us we desire something we desire happiness we desire a bl- the blessed life we desire to be fulfilled but but we don't know anything about what we really desire you know and and that's kind of a mystery how we know that there must be something that that actually fulfills us otherwise we wouldn't be driven towards it this desire for happiness which everyone has And at the same time, we don't have it here. And he says the following. In the final analysis, there is something else that we ask for in prayer. Our journey has no other goal. It is all about this blessed life alone. 
But then Augustine also says, looking more closely, we have no idea what we ultimately desire, what we would really like. We do not know this reality at all. Even in those moments when we think we can reach out and touch it, it eludes us. You know, think of those moments where you know, you're the happiest moments in your life with your girlfriend or boyfriend and in that sunset by the, by the beach or, you know, at a beautiful harbor or something like that. You say, well, this is like heaven. And yet it eludes us, you know. It, it, that moment goes away. It's a fleeting moment. And I mean, it's just, yes, it, it may be so romantic and so happy, but then we realize, well, it starts to rain. I don't know. It just something messes it up, you know, or it gets cold or whatever, or, you know, she gets upset at us or, you know, um, whatever. Well, Pope Benedict continues, quoting Augustine, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. He says, quoting St. Paul, all we know is that it is not this, yet in not knowing, we know that this reality must exist. There is therefore in us a certain learned ignorance, docta ignorantia, a learned ignorance, so to speak. We do not know what we would really like we do not know this true life, and yet we know that there must be something we do not know towards which we feel driven. And that is the Blessed Trinity, in whose image we are made. You know, St. Augustine, they say that when he was writing his treatise on the Holy Trinity, that he was walking, pacing back and forth on the beach in North Africa, and he was just going over his, you know, his book that he was writing and his work and trying to understand the Holy Trinity. And, and he just, he was perplexed. He, he, he couldn't really put something together that, that he was struggling with. And as he was doing this, he saw a little child digging a hole in the sand. And then with a shell going back and forth from the Mediterranean Sea and bringing a little bit of water into the hole. And Augustine was perplexed, and he asked him, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm trying to put all the sea into this little hole by bringing a little bit of water with a shell. And Augustine said, well, that's silly. Uh, I don't think you can take, don't you understand that the, that the sea doesn't fit in that hole? And at that point, the child reportedly told him, well, it is easier for me to put the entire sea into the hole than for you to understand the Trinity for you, the Trinity to fit in your mind, in your reason." And Augustine never forgot that. And he that's why the shell is, is such a big symbol for him. In fact, uh, um, the shell has been taken up by many people, including Pope Benedict himself in his coat of arms, actually, to represent that, that kind of you know, desire to look for the truth. And yet, knowing that in this life, we really cannot comprehend it at all. But we can tend towards it, and we can love it, and we can put it into practice.
you know, what St. Paul says to the Corinthians is, is really true. He says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what things God has prepared for those who love him. But to us, God has revealed them through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the things of a man, save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the things of God no one knows but the spirit of God. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God. Well, we cannot understand what the Blessed Trinity is in, in, and comprehend it fully and how this mystery of love really has uh, has um, decided to create us in in his image so our heart cannot understand that it's it's too big to fit in in our minds and yet through faith it has been revealed to us that it exists and it and and that that truly it is a the, the, the end of our existence. St. Athanasius was actually a father of the church who fought to keep the mystery of the Trinity whole because there, are, there were people in his time and, and also today who will try to water down the mystery and try to understand it in, in human terms, such as Arius. Arius was the heretic who who basically said, look, Jesus, or he is a creature, basically. At the end of the day, he was created. He's the first creature. He's the most important creature. But at the end of the day, there's only one God. That's the Father. And that's it. And then Jesus is simply a man who was created, a very important, you know, uh, part of creation. Um but not truly God, not consubstantial. That's, in fact, where we get the, um, the word consubstantial, with the Father. So Arius said he is not of the same substance, of the same nature as the Father. He is of a different nature, that is, a creaturely nature. And the Council of Nicaea, um, there with the help of, of all the work that Athanasius had done, they affirmed, you know, the, the fathers under the influence and guidance of the Holy Spirit that the Son is of the same substance, of the same nature as the Father, so that they are, they are one. And, and later on, in the Council of Constantinople, in the year 381, the same thing or an analogous uh, thing happened with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is consubstantial with the Father and the Son. And in the Creed, even though we don't say that the Holy Spirit is consubstantial with the Father and the Son, we do say that he deserves the same kind of worship and glory as the Father and the Son. It's kind of a liturgical uh, affirmation you know, of what we ought to do to the Holy Spirit. We ought to worship him in the same way because precisely what's understated is that he is consubstantial with the Father and the Son because he is he too is God.
Now, this mystery of the Holy Trinity took a while to reveal, and, and, and God, in his infinite wisdom, has prepared his people to receive this mystery gradually. Starting within the first page of, of Genesis, we hear how God created the heavens and the earth, and, and the word for God is not El in, in Hebrew, it is Elohim, which is plural. And yet the verb that is used, bara, is singular. You know, there's a mystery there of some plurality, you know, but and yet he acts as one. You know, it's kind of a, a foreshadowing of the Trinity, as the fathers of the church have always seen that word. Elohim, why is it plural? Is it a grammatical mistake? Did the Holy Spirit make a grammar mistake? No. It, it was it's mysteriously foreshadowing that there is a plurality of persons in the one God or or also in in, in the very same page of Genesis where it is written that that God said let us create man in our image and likeness this let us what is this let us you know again this plural or um, Another image that appears in the Bible over and over again is the cloud. Again, the cloud, the shadow that leads the people of Israel out of slavery. It's the cloud, the overshadowing of the cloud, which then is taken up even in the New Testament um, with Mary when, when she conceives of, Je- of Jesus in her womb. You know, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and and you could see that it's the son of the father, you know, in the under the influence somehow of the Holy Spirit that makes that that uh, that conception possible. It's all three persons involved in their own mysterious way, cooperating um, in the in the salvation of man. The cloud, you know, is also something that follows in the um, at, uh, at the transfiguration, at the baptism of Jesus, at the crucifixion. Even liturgically, we we cast a shadow when we mention the Holy Spirit in the creed by bowing deeply in 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 that that section where we talk about the incarnation. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit, or also the priest places his hands over the gifts, you know, where the Holy Spirit comes. And that is, again, a a casting a shadow over the gifts which represent the Holy Spirit. And even beforehand, in the old liturgy, they used to have the gesture, the priest used to have fluttering hands, you know, as they came together. As the hands, as his hands came together, he kind of uh, fluttered them like like the wings of a dove until they they came to the middle over the gifts. You know, um, we have the canopies or the the type of umbrellas that are in proce- that are used in the procession of the, of the Blessed Sacrament with the Holy Spirit, the dove, right on top, or the baldacchino in Rome in Saint Peter's. You could see the Holy Spirit is there in the form of a dove. All this represents the mysterious presence of God, you know, that, that cloud, that shadow that 
that leads us forth. And, and of course, um, we, we are left in the dark and yet we are left on fire, you know, because that's when we can love the Holy Trinity most because we're most united in that, in that darkness, in that darkness of our ignorance. This is truly something that escapes us. St. Paul exclaims how, how deep this mystery is when, when he says to the Romans, how deep are the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how inscrutable his judgment. It, it, it truly is so. We don't understand. But the good news, even if we don't understand, is that we have a door to the Blessed Trinity. And that door, that gate, is Jesus Christ. And the reason why he's the gate is because he became a man. And in so doing, he taught us how to lead our lives in such a way that we can be partakers of the divine nature, as St. Peter says in his letter. So if we imitate Christ, if we identify ourselves with him in baptism, and, and with greater intensity every time we go to communion, then we become other Christs, Christ himself, as St. Josemaria uh, put it many times. You know, uh, St. Josemaria emphasized that the fact that we are children in the Son. I am a son in the Son, or a daughter in the Son. And in fact, there is a human body, right? in the middle, right smack in the middle of the Blessed Trinity, which is the body of the Son, which he has um, incarnated. That's, that's incredible. That's our gate, our gateway to the Holy Trinity. And we are, in baptism, we are configured with that divine filiation, that divine sonship. Some people like to think of their relationship to God as spousal, you know, like... Um, we're married in some way to our Lord. You know, the, the human soul is like, like the spouse of, of Jesus or something like that. And that is, a, I suppose, a, a very nice metaphor um, to show that we are, you know, uh, totally given to our Lord as a spouse is totally given to to the other spouse, you know, a wife to the husband and a husband to the wife. However, the the fact is that uh, the, the spousal metaphor is something that is human. It really is taking a, an image which it primarily exists in the human realm, like marriage, and applying it back to God. There is no marriage between the Father and the Holy Spirit or something like that. And, you know, and, and our minds are perplexed because we try to put some kind of wife, you know, for the Father or something. You know, some people may think that way, but that's wrong. That's not revealed. And that's not the way it is, actually. What is revealed, instead of thinking of our relationship to, um, to God as spousal, 
St. Rosa Maria liked to think of it as filial. We are children of God in the Son. Now, there's nothing wrong with a metaphor as long as we realize that marriage is primarily a reality here below and it's not something um, that primarily exists in God because there is no differentiation of sexes in God. That's a human thing. It's a created thing. But there is sonship in God primarily. So any affiliation belongs primarily to God and we participate in that secondarily. And that that that, that should really give us something um, um, that should make us think and be in awe at the fact that every single human being is a child. And that as a child of our parents, we are imaging something eternal, something that has existed always in the Trinity. Look at what St. Paul says to the Romans. For whoever are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now you have not received a spirit of bondage so as to be again in fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by virtue of which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself gives testimony to our spirit that we are sons of God. But if we are sons, we are heirs also, heirs indeed of God and joint heirs with Christ, provided, however, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So, this is the this is the reality of things that we are children of God in the Son, and that's how that's the best way to relate to God, uh, or the most um, the, the most real way that the most basic way that we can relate to God because it's founded on our baptism where we are configured to the Son. What can we draw from all this, all, the, all these considerations? Well, one is we can exclaim to God to help us. We can ask for his help in order to draw closer to him. And not only just to God as God, but or God is one, but God is three. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Do we have a relationship, a distinct relationship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit? Maybe we start with Jesus, but then we go to the Father, and we pray to the Father, and then we, we pray to the Holy Spirit. You know, He's the great unknown, as, as we considered last week at Pentecost. But we try to get to know them, and we have a, a special relationship with each one of them. In fact, that's what we get in baptism. We get this special relationship with each one of the persons of the Blessed Trinity, which people who are not baptized do not have. You know, they, they relate as creatures to the one God, but not as sons in the Son or children in the Son. And therefore, you know, they don't have that special relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus. So, that's the first thing, I think, um, in our interior life, to develop that special relationship, which um, the door of which, the gate of which, is Jesus himself. Secondly, we need humility. We need a lot of humility, because this mystery is way beyond our understanding. 
Saint Jose Maria, whenever he he saw the number one o three, he saw it one day, I think, uh, on, in a wine bottle or somewhere else. His his mind was so imbued with with God, he was always praying or trying to pray at least. That immediately he just commented out, you know, hey, there is the one, that's God, as one, and then there is the three because that represents the Holy Trinity, and then I'm kind of in the middle, I'm the zero, you know. And that's how we are embraced by God. It's like the number 103. God as one, God is three, and I'm in the middle. I'm the zero. Humility. You know, we are the zero. But we are couched with God. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. So so we're not that bad off, you know. Um, whenever St. Jose Maria used to read about the Holy Trinity, and he read this author, Michael Schmaus, this German author, um, who has books and books on dogmatic theology, and he liked to read it in the car, you know, kind of just to go over things as, as uh, uh, he was in the car, um, and not driving, of course, but uh, you know, in the back, and he would take advantage of time that way or in, in, at other moments, and he had it next to his bed. Uh, I think also, and he always loved to learn about the Trinity. And um, he says that whenever he he learned something that was beautiful, I mean, just the way theologians have come to explain it, Saint Augustine, Saint Thomas, uh, Hilary of Poitiers, and many others, he gave thanks. He gave thanks. His his um, his heart gave thanks because he understood something. He said, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, he was in awe. And at other times, he wouldn't understand anything, even things that could be understood, uh, that theologians had understood, and he would be confused. And then he would actually say, that's when I give thanks even more, even more. Because if God were so small as to fit within my mind, he would not be God. He gave thanks for the greatness of God. So, we can learn this humility, this intellectual humility, that that far from taking us away uh, from our desire to study, it actually helps us to study more so that we can contemplate more. Right? We need to study with a with a, with with an intellectual humility, so that we can try our best to understand what what can be understood uh, of the Holy Trinity, the great the greatest mystery of our faith. And lastly, I would say invite the Trinity to make their abode in us, in, in you, in each one of us. We are temples of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, you know, and really temples of the Holy Trinity. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit that will make their abode in us. And, you know, the intensity of their presence is something that will will follow after the intensity of our desire to have them over you know if we don't treat them nicely you know the holy spirit will kind of close shop <laughs> and and go away especially with sin especially with serious sin you know that's when the trinity says you know i've been kicked out you know and and the trinity goes away from our soul in, in that special way that they want to be in our soul 
until we come back, you know, through through um, our union of sanctifying grace again, uh, which we get uh, certainly after confession. Uh, so when we invite them over, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the one God that we worship, uh, we we also want to make sure that our life, our moral life, our our choices are in accord with the choices that Jesus would make. That there's nothing impure, there's nothing evil, there's nothing malicious, there's nothing envious, there's nothing, you know, uh, there's no logic of the flesh anymore, the logic of the world, that we are really seeking the things that are above, to paraphrase St. Paul. Well, let us let us ask Mary, who is the, the greatest um, saint of all, you know, they say, above you, nothing but God, no one but God. Greater than you, no one but God, as soon as I may like to say. She is the one that will teach us how to deal with each of the persons of the Blessed Trinity because she herself is the mother, daughter, and spouse of God. As St. Maria said many times, and here in this point of forge, number 227, he says, Turn to Our Lady, the mother, daughter, and spouse of God, and our mother, ask her to obtain more graces for you from the Blessed Trinity, the grace of faith, of hope, of love, and of contrition, so that when it seems that a harsh, dry wind is blowing in your life, threatening to wither those flowers of your soul, they will not wither, and neither will those of your brothers. So, let us ask her, who had the special relationship, to um, help us as well and share in the joy and in the awe at contemplating the Holy Trinity. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.